It goes without saying that the field of paranormal research is one that's filled with uncertainty. I mean, let's face it, as much as we believe in the other side, some ghost stories are just that, stories. If you've been listening to this show for a while, then you're probably well aware of my own skepticism when it comes to this field as a whole. Sure, I'm a full believer in the paranormal. I've had too many experiences for that to not be the case. But at the same time, I've always felt that alleged paranormal activity should be analyzed from a logical perspective. If and when that fails to produce a viable explanation, well, that's when you have something pretty remarkable on your hands. Now, this is not to say that I don't give other researchers and investigators, or even myself, the benefit of the doubt. I mean, when exploring the world's most haunted locations, you're almost guaranteed to have some pretty bizarre experiences. And at least in the case of intelligent hauntings, it can be pretty difficult to document that activity. But therein lies the problem. It's hard enough already to collect cold hard evidence of the paranormal. Some investigators may claim to have that proof, but refuse to share their findings. Others share their evidence, only to be ridiculed for calling it proof. In either way, we're left to wonder what's fact and what's fiction. It's that very dichotomy that sits at the center of this week's topic. Yes, that's right. By the end of the episode, I will present to you some pretty resounding evidence. And together, we'll try to decide if it's hoax or haunt. I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's one thing to tell a ghost story, but it's a whole other thing entirely to share your evidence with the world. Because, as we'll see in the case of the Barton Mansion, proof of the paranormal isn't always received without a hefty dose of skepticism. I'm Courtney Hayes, and you're listening to Haunts. Stay tuned. To understand the gravity of the evidence I'm about to share, I think we first need a bit of context. So let's begin with a story that dates back about 200 years. There was a sweltering heat on that day in June of 1823 when Benjamin Barton came into the world. Little Ben was born into a prominent colonial family based in South Carolina. And so, throughout his childhood, he enjoyed some of the finest things money could buy. When he turned 19, Ben Barton set out in search of his own prosperity, eventually enrolling in the medical school at Transylvania College. Upon graduation, he began practicing medicine in Alabama. Then, later on in his career, he moved to Texas, where he met Miss Eliza Bright. It wasn't long before the two were married, and with the concept of manifest destiny clear on their mind, eventually the couple decided to venture west, ultimately settling in El Monte, California, circa 1854. In the first two years, following this move to El Monte, the Bartons welcomed John and Hiram into the family. 
They were the first of five children that Ben and Eliza would have together. And given the rapid growth of their young family, the Bartons felt that their humble accommodations were becoming a bit cramped. So Ben began the search for a new family home, only this time in San Bernardino, California. You see, up until that point, this area of the state was almost solely inhabited by members of the Church of Latter-day Saints. But in late November of 1857, the vast majority of this community relocated to Utah. It was in the wake of this mass exodus that real estate prices throughout San Bernardino were dropping like flies. And so Ben Barton, ever the opportunist, picked up a whopping 640-acre plot for the modest price of just $500. Now, it was on that very property that the Bartons built an extravagant villa, the likes of which the entirety of the Redlands had never seen. But today, even in spite of its grandiose, somewhat elitist reputation, the Barton Mansion is known for being somewhat darker. And really, it's no wonder why. Because, as it turns out, this building has a very peculiar history. Now, it would be easy to say that the family's time at the Barton Mansion was amongst the happiest of their lives, that the expansive villa offered the Bartons every comfort in the world. But of course, this haunt wouldn't be the subject of today's episode if that were entirely the case. The trouble began not long after Ben Barton purchased this undeveloped plot of land. He was making plans, of course, drawing up blueprints for the family home, and scouting out locations to plant a somewhat superfluous vineyard. And all the while, he had ignored the advice of his new neighbors. You see, as he continued to develop the property, members of a local Native American tribe urged Barton to keep things as they were. Because, apparently, back in the days of their ancestors, this particular tract of land was used as a burial ground. Now, it's worth mentioning that, at least from my own understanding, this local tribe didn't particularly care that Ben Barton had assumed ownership of the property. However, they did feel a moral obligation to warn the Bartons of what was lying just six feet below the surface, because disrupting those graves would almost certainly bring what they called an unholy pestilence onto the Barton family. It was, of course, an admirable cause, but in the end, Ben Barton didn't heed this warning, instead opting to continue with construction. And, allegedly, that decision came at a great personal cost. According to local lore, Eliza had suffered a strange and unfortunate accident not long after the move to San Bernardino. It was a hot August afternoon, when Eliza collapsed, seemingly without cause. And even in spite of her otherwise good health, she ultimately succumbed to death. Understandably, this tragedy weighed heavy on Ben Barton's mind. And in the years that followed, the widower became a bit of a recluse, 
ultimately confining himself to the villa until he too passed. Okay, I can't lie to you. This is the story that I found throughout the majority of my sources. A young woman in the prime of her life, dying unexpectedly just days after her family had supposedly been cursed. Her husband, stricken by love's keen sting, eventually withdrawing into a self-imposed isolation. I know, it's quite the story. If it were true, that is. Although, for the sake of transparency, I should mention that this narrative may be a bit blown out of proportion. You see, throughout my research, I was able to track down the obituary of none other than Eliza Henry Bright Barton. Born on the 6th of July, 1827, her death in August of 1920 meant that Eliza lived to the ripe age of 93 years old. Now, this is not to say that her death wasn't unexpected and tragic. But even by today's standards, taking a fall at 93 isn't exactly a good prognosis. And based on these findings, at least, it sounds like Eliza spent years living at the Barton estate, not days, like many of my sources made it out to be. In other words, it seems to me that Eliza spent her golden years living there in San Bernardino, and if the family was in fact cursed, well, those effects must have been an incredibly slow burn. But what about Ben Barton in his solitary confinement? Surely that part of the story's true, right? Well, do keep in mind that record-keeping back then was somewhat more lax than it is today. But at least according to his own obituary, Benjamin Barton died more than 20 years prior to his beloved wife. In the decades that followed, the family stint living in San Bernardino. The Barton Mansion has served several different functions. You see, since those poorly documented beginnings, the building was renovated into a polio treatment center, then a sanitarium, and after that, a nursing home. Suffice it to say, each of these phases imposed a new grim chapter on the property. And at least from where I'm standing, it seems that could be the reason behind the building's alleged haunts. Although, I should mention, that local lore paints a slightly different picture. Now, for the argument's sake, let's assume that the story I told you in the previous segment is true. That Eliza Barton passed well before her husband, and that he had, in fact, resorted to a life of solitude within the Grand Estate. Supposedly, that narrative continues, spinning the tale of an old widower who refused to be separated from his beloved wife by the icy hand of death. So, yeah, at least according to this version of the story, Ben Barton couldn't face the reality of Eliza's passing. And as far as he was concerned, he didn't have to. Not when he was living through the height of spiritualism. So the story goes, Benjamin Barton became an active member of the occult following Eliza's death. He curated a library filled with books on necromancy, spiritualism, and, supposedly, satanic rituals. I know, 
By now this is starting to sound like the beginnings of a Mary Shelley novel. But here's where things get that much more macabre. Apparently, Ben Barton took it upon himself to perform more than a few of these rituals inside the mansion. And being that he was a medical doctor himself, he had a keen fascination with rituals involving human remains. Which was convenient, as well as it was mortifying, given that he was living atop a mass grave. It's a disturbing thought, no doubt about it. But do keep in mind that this narrative is entirely hearsay. A local legend, a ghost story, and likely nothing more. So then, why is it that paranormal investigators flock to this spot from far and wide? What could be the reason that paranormal researchers like myself believe this to be one of the most haunted locations in all of California? Well, the answer to those questions is really quite simple. It all comes back to a single video that was captured inside the Barton Mansion back in the fall of 2001. As of 2017, the Barton Mansion has been acting as a fairly popular wedding venue. I know, that's somewhat hard to imagine, given its odd history. But hey, if anyone's in the market, I'll have the website linked in today's show notes. Now, it likely goes without saying that this revival had been pretty much inevitable. I mean, San Bernardino would be an enviable place to say your I do's, and even if it does have a dark reputation, the Barton Mansion is a gorgeous piece of architecture. That said, this facelift didn't exactly happen overnight. In fact, the villa and surrounding property stood vacant for a number of years, instead acting as a playground for urban explorers and paranormal enthusiasts. It was an otherwise ordinary night, back in September of 2001, when a group of four local teens made the trek out to the vacant Barton estate. Now, this group of youngsters was not dissimilar from you or I. They had a love for the paranormal, and they of course knew the rumors being made about this property. They were told that the old caretakers used to encounter shadow figures throughout the building. They were warned that the furniture had the tendency to move on its own. And I'm sure they were even prepared for the foul stench that supposedly emanates through the halls of this old villa. I guess you could say that they were as prepared as they could be. Armed with digital recorders, EMF detectors, and an old-school camcorder, they walked into the Barton Mansion with all the confidence of seasoned professionals. And, to be honest, I think they held their own. I mean, I don't know how I would have reacted if I had shared in this experience. You see, from the moment they stepped inside, this group of teens had been using that old-school camcorder to document their exploration through the mansion. They probably didn't expect to capture anything on tape, and they surely weren't expecting to see anything with their own eyes. So you can imagine the terror-induced chaos that ensued when they encountered something otherworldly up on the second floor. Okay, I'm gonna try my best to describe this thing. 
popping out from a closet in one of the upstairs bedrooms. This entity appears to be cloaked in a white shift. It's inhumanly tall, with skin that's ghostly pale, and there are holes where the eyes and mouth should be. So, I'm probably doing a poor job painting this picture for you. But no matter. Because, as luck would have it, this group of teens, along with that simple camcorder, captured the whole event on film. So, before we go any further, I think it would be best for you to head to the show notes, where you can watch this video for yourself. Don't worry, I'll be here when you get back. So, by now, I bet that many of you are divided into two camps. Either you believe this footage to be incontrovertible proof of the paranormal, or you feel that this haunt is an undeniable gimmick. To be brutally honest, I myself am divided on the matter. I mean, if this footage is truly bona fide evidence, then any skepticism I have left for this field would be pretty much depleted. But then again, that's a really big if. In light of that, I think we should close out this episode by discussing both sides of the argument, ideally from an objective point of view. So, if you will, let's put aside all of our preconceived notions and look at things with a clear and logical mind. On the one hand, I think it's safe to say that this legend is more or less a bit of local gossip, Sure, it's an incredibly chilling tale, one that has everything from romance to satanic rituals, paranormal activity, and beyond. But by all accounts, this story is just that and nothing more. And if there is any truth written into this narrative, then I have no doubt that it's been blown out of proportion after centuries of retellings and revisions. So is it illogical to think that this video is more of the same? Well, I guess not but that doesn't refute the other side of this argument. On that note, I think it's worth noting that this video was filmed in the early 2000s. Technology was simply not as, let's say, easily manipulated as it is today. So, at least according to one of my sources, it's highly unlikely that this entity was edited in after the fact. Now, you could probably argue that any post-production editing wouldn't be necessary to fake a video like this. I mean, all you'd really need is a friend who is willing to dress up in a creepy costume and wait for their cue. I admit, that's a valid point. But let me ask you this. Did you not hear their screams? Did you not feel the sheer panic in their voices as they ran in haste from the building? Did that reaction not seem genuine to you? In the end, I guess this argument is purely conjecture. We'll likely never know whether this haunt is real or fake. But you have to admit, this video really makes you wonder, doesn't it?
This episode of Haunts was written and produced by me, Courtney Hayes. If you've been enjoying the show so far, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review. A lot of work goes into each episode, and supporting the show in this way really helps us reach more listeners each week. It's entirely free and takes about 30 seconds, and it would genuinely mean the world to me. Also, if you're interested in learning more about today's topic, I greatly encourage you to check out the show notes section on our website at hauntscast.com. This is the location where I share my sources and provide any visual aid that may be referenced during the show. Finally, I would love to connect with you online. You can find me on Instagram at hauntscast, or you can join our email list for updates about the show. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, happy haunting.